Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is the Robin Lundberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Need to know what it takes for a home to fit your budget and family? Rocket can. All right, uh, Anthony, was I 0-7 last week? Am I right? You are correct, sir. Oh, and seven. I know you came oh. close with the Rams, right? That the Rams won by three. You barely, you just missed that one. I mean, I'm not gonna like give myself any credit uh, when I oh and seven if I barely miss one. I it's funny because I felt pretty good about those picks going into last week, and I made many of those bets in real life. And it is what it is. Sometimes, uh, you know, you lost so some I, money I, last week. Yeah, I did. I, I, in fact, all the money that was in my account, I, not my bank account, but my you know. Oof. Yeah, that's all right. That's good to hear. Yeah, <laughs> the I, I, I yeah, I just did this for fun. I'm not I'm not spending real money uh, out there in those those gambling streets. But nevertheless, that that's uh, I'm gonna have to own that one. That's an L. I have to own, and I I will own it. And I I have nothing to say for myself. So four I, and ten overall so far through the first two weeks. So let's get back on track today. It's amazing, right? Because. Uh, you know, you can have a over five hundred in week one, and all of a sudden, it's all for naught, and you're, you know, a pitiful, pitiful, pathetic <laughs> loser, like I am. I am a pitiful, pathetic loser. All right, I will, I will do my best to dig myself out of that hole. Time for week three NFL picks, and it, feel free to go the opposite. You know, if I had crunched the numbers and laid down curf- careful analysis, I'd be picking the Chargers over the Chiefs, but I'm not picking that game. I'm just gonna leave that game alone. Uh, the Chiefs, I, I mentioned this before, but they're seven and nine against the spread a year ago. They were uh, three and eight when playing as at least seven point favorites last season. So if the trends hold up, the Chargers are the pick there. But with the Chiefs losing last week and still being the Chiefs, I, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to, to pick against them. So, I, so the the intro might be a little off there because that would be the the number crunching maneuver to pick against. The, the Chiefs this week. I'm going to hold off. But I will pick the Pats minus three over the Saints. You know, the, the Patriots, they're in a weird spot because they're transitioning um, post-Tom Brady. Obviously, Tom Brady has gone out and, and proven what he's proven. Mac Jones has been fine so far. Fine but unspectacular. Um, but he, he hasn't screwed them up, right? He's put them in position 
you know, it, it, week one, it was a turnover by a, a running back, I believe, that, that, that cost them. So they've been positioned. They've got that, that looming showdown with Tom Brady. And as much as I thought and bought into the Saints after week one, maybe I'm, I'm course correcting too much the other direction, but week two was a little bit of concern because you saw much of what uh, has played Jameis Winston in the past. I, I, I always thought his um, deep passing game would open things up for the Saints because Drew Brees wasn't capable of that. But Drew Brees wasn't going to just make the kind of mistakes that, that, that Jameis did. And on, on top of that, we know if they do go to Taysom Hill, He's a little bit limited in, in what he can do. Um, obviously, New England, a tough place for anybody to play. So I, I like the, the Patriots to control that one, uh, control the pace and, and tempo of that game. I'll take the Pats minus three over the Saints. I will go with the Jets plus ten and a half over the Broncos. This says nothing about really faith in the Jets. I, I don't have faith in the Jets, but I think the Jets will be better than they were last week. I think Zach Wilson will be better than he was last week. And more is just, I don't know if the Broncos have any business being 10.5 point favorites over anyone. Now, to be fair, they won their first game over the Giants 27-13, to so they would have covered that number. But they, they beat the, the Jaguars by 10 last week. You know, Teddy Bridgewater is their quarterback. No disrespect to him, but I think he's the kind of the definition of a serviceable quarterback, right? So I I just – I don't see the Broncos as 10.5-point favorites over anyone, including the Jets. I I think the Jets obviously will play better. Uh, So this is not a vote of confidence in the Jets as much as – that number is just too large for my liking. I'll take the Bears plus 7 over the Browns. Maybe this is the Justin Field hype train. You know what was crazy? How does um, Matt Nagy go out there and say, you know, Andy Dalton's still their starter if he's healthy? I guess he's just trying to say the the right thing. But you can't put Justin Fields out there, whether it was injury or not, and then go back to Andy Dalton. Unless Fields is horrible or, or I mean, just horrible or, or gets hurt, uh, even if he's horrible. I mean, I think once that switch is made, you can't put that back in the, the box. Uh, but the Bears... You know, with Fields, he, he should give them another dimension uh, to their attack. The the Browns were the a chic pick coming into the season. They've been okay so far this year. I I I, I just like the dimension that that Fields is going to bring to to that team. Chicago has not been bad so far to to start this year. Not like you know an an embarrassing representation. We haven't seen you know them be pitiful even in in a division. That isn't so great. They picked up a win over the Bengals last week. I, maybe when I say they haven't been pitiful, I mean they did lose by 20 in week one. But Justin Fields, I, I like what he brings to that team. So Bears plus seven over the Browns. I'll take the 49ers minus three over the Packers. I'm betting we see more Trey Lance this week. The Packers have not been good um, stopping runners on the outside. I would imagine Kyle Shanahan has devised the game plan to take advantage of that. We don't really know what the Packers are because they were so bad in week one, which was clearly an anomaly. Uh, they played Detroit in week two, which is, is hard to take too much from. But, uh, you know, that San Francisco team is pretty talented top to bottom. I, I still don't think that the Packers are thus far. I'm not into them the way I was 
last year because of everything that's going on with that team. And, and defensively, they haven't looked great, even if Aaron Rodgers was better last week. So I'll take the 49ers minus three over the Packers. I'll take the Falcons plus three over the Giants. I, the Giants are amongst the worst situations in football right now. And Atlanta, you know, has been respectable in the in or was respectable last week before falling to the the Buccaneers late. They got their their butts kicked by the uh Eagles in, in week 1. But the the Giants are are, you know, anytime the Giants are given points, I I think at this point I I feel pretty good about taking their opponent regardless of, of who it is, a battle of of winless teams there and and I'm not sure maybe uh that will determine which is the worst situation in the league. That could be the the bowl there to decide that. There are some other teams that are in that mix. Obviously, the Jets. Uh, obviously, you know, Jacksonville. Indy's in a rough spot this year. They had a nice year last year. But the Falcons and the Giants is not exactly an, an inspiring matchup. I'll take the Seahawks minus two over the Vikings. I'm not fooled by Seattle. I mean, I, I think if you were fooled by Seattle, last week would have been one of those awakenings. They they have those kind of games. They they lost that one to the the Titans, thirty three to thirty, in overtime. But they're better than the Vikings. And on the road, you never know what can happen in the NFL. This feels like a a, a suck you in type of of bet. Just seeing the the Seahawks minus two. I think everybody sees that on paper. Seahawks minus two, and we'll, we'll take them over the Vikings. But nevertheless, I'm gonna sign up for it. And then finally, I'll go with the Eagles plus three and a half over the Cowboys. If you watch that Eagles game against San Francisco last week, Philly really had some chances to win that game. I mean, Jalen Hurts threw a 90-something yard pass, and they didn't score on that drive. They didn't even get a field goal on that drive, and I think that's where that game swung. And when they eventually lost that game, I like what I've seen from Philly so far this year. Battle for the NFC East, that half a point is what really seals the deal for me because I could see that coming down to a field goal. Um, but even if, if the Cowboys, let's say, kick the winning field goal at the end of the game, uh, the Eagles would still win via the, the, the number there, the line there. So to recap, I'll go with Patriots minus three over the Saints. Jets plus ten and a half over the Broncos. Bears plus seven over the Browns. 49ers minus three over the Packers, Falcons plus three over the Giants, Seahawks minus two over the Vikings, and Eagles plus three and a half over Dallas. So those are my NFL picks of the week. Oh, and seven. When I saw that, I was like, I was thinking it might be the case last week, and then I went to like my notes to confirm. I'm like, Man, I got to do that segment. That's what I was thinking about for a lot of the week. I can't, you know can't face the audience after an 0-7 week. I'm supposed to know what I'm talking about. But instead, I'm an embarrassment. I've disgraced my family. I've disgraced my ancestors. I I apologize deeply. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I'm not good enough and that I, I, I failed to that degree. Oof, that's pathetic. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding around. I mean, it happens. This is a, like the nature of, of betting. That's how good they are at the lines. You know, I saw, you know what's crazy? The um, 
Thursday night football game was the most watched since 2018 or something like that. The freaking Texans played the Panthers. Explain to me how that's possible. I'll tell you how. Gambling. That's the only explanation, right? Like, how in the hell could that many people have watched the Panthers and the Texans? One, their fantasy football team. So they've got somebody involved. Christian McCaffrey, number one pick. I mean, I know he got hurt in that game. But, you know, they, they got some sort of rooting interest because of that because they got fantasy involvement or, or fantasy implications in the game. Or two, they put money on the game. Because I don't know how else, like, that one would be the the one. Now, you know, because week one, obviously, was, a, was a, um, a bigger deal. And week two, even, was a, was a bigger deal. But people are getting into the habits of the season. They're now in their, their, their football habits. I, I just, I, I can't explain how that would be possible if it's not for some other factor contributing. And, and to me, the, the, the easiest factor to explain why that would be watched more than, again, NFL Communications says Panthers-Texans week three, Thursday night football's most watched game since 2018. It has to be. More and more states are, are legalizing sports gambling. Now, I'm not saying everybody that watched that game is gambling on it. That's not what I'm saying. But when you, you are, are are trying to, to figure out how they could garner and hold that audience, it's the extra stuff. Like, what what's – what because – TV audiences are just going down in general. So what's making it bounce back up? Well, one, the NFL is just extremely popular and, and people will watch the game regardless. So I'm not dismissing the fact that there are plenty of people who had nothing riding on that game who just had it on because they, they like the NFL and they're watching the NFL. But it's got to be fantasy and, and, and more and more people having access to, to sports betting that could bring a game like Panthers and Texans to that number. Because I... I don't buy that that many people were curious to see Sam Darnold play. Anthony, how do you feel about Sam Darnold post-Jets, by the way, as a Jets fan? Oh, my God. You know, it's, the media just likes to hate on the Jets. I mean, just the crap all over the Jets. I know everyone's making out Sam Darnold to be, uh, you know, comeback player of the year and all this other stuff after, uh, you know, three games. You know, he's been good, and there's no doubt about that. But, again, you know, I said this uh, right from the get-go. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Sam Darnold went somewhere else and had success. Like, there were flashes. It just, it wasn't enough uh, where I was – there was enough where I was okay with the Jets moving on from Darnold. Uh, but he he had zero talent uh, when he was here with the Jets uh, from an offensive standpoint uh, at the skill positions. He had terrible coaching. I mean, he himself, uh, you know, was making the same errors in year three as he was making in his rookie year. So, um, but again, I, we've seen he has talent and uh, he has better coaching now, better weapons. Obviously, it helps when you have a guy like uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, on your team as well. But he's been good. He hasn't been great. Uh, but he's been good. He's been very good so far uh, for the uh, for the Carolina Panthers. But listen, as long as Zach Wilson uh, turns out uh, what we hope, uh, as as the Jets do, the front office and as the fans of the football team, as long as he winds up turning out to be who we think he will be, then it won't be an issue. We won't care about uh, Sam Darnold. 
Well, it shows you how much circumstances play in. I would agree. I mean, I think Sam Darnold has been good. Not yes, he's great. been I good. I, I know. I, 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 Some people, I, I just have it. been like going crazy over him, and I mean, I just I don't think that's warranted. But he's de- he's definitely obviously been better than uh, what we saw his first three years in New York. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. That that. Not a high bar to clear, but no. he's clear. He's cleared that with yes. some room. Let's put it that way. Yes. He cleared that bar easily, though he not hasn't necessarily set the the world record for the pole vault no. or, or whatever it is in bar clearing. We'll get into the rest of NFL Week Three coming up next. You can weigh in as well. Eight five five two one two four two two seven. It is the Robin Lundberg Show, and it's here with you on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Robin Lundberg Show. It is the Robin Lundberg Show. Here on CBS Sports Radio, as you just said, so I'm repeating, being redundant. Time to get into some NFL Week 3. Who better to do that with than Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst at Pro Football Focus. And Sam, I want to start, I'm interested to um, get your thoughts on the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Because they had that game kind of won, wasn't for the fumble. They wind up losing. Obviously, they've been... You know, sort of dominant the last couple of seasons, winning a Super Bowl, getting to the Super Bowl last year, only losing two regular season games. Yet, if you look at the the numbers, I was just going over the spread. They were under 500 against the spread last year, well under 500 when favored by seven or, or more points. Where would you assess the current state of the, the Kansas City Chiefs as, as they get set to take on the Chargers? I mean, I think they're still one of the favorites, um, one of the best teams in the NFL. But one of the interesting things about this year is despite the numbers looking great, Patrick Mahomes isn't actually playing that well. He's made a few spectacular plays here and there, um, and he's got six touchdowns, one interception, 10 yards per attempt, all those kinds of things. But his PFF grade is, is way lower. He's made three turnover-worthy plays now um, that haven't necessarily been punished. Um, and it's it's this example of, the Chiefs are so good with Andy Reid and, and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and all the weapons that they have that when Patrick Mahomes doesn't play well, they typically tend to have incredible production anyway. Um, but there's something missing when he doesn't. And they're not quite as dominant as they can be when he's firing at all cylinders and everything is going well. So I think really the difference between the Chiefs running away and, and beating teams like Baltimore um, and, and not, obviously, other than the fumble, is when Mahomes isn't quite playing at his very, very best. They, they just have a little bit of an edge missing. What has kept him from playing at his very best? What, what do you think that has been the difference? I, I don't know that there's any reason necessarily. As I say, there's a couple of sort of bad mistakes in there that don't necessarily show up on the box score and those kinds of things. Um, and the Chiefs are very good at manufacturing offense, whether or not Patrick Mahomes uh, makes good plays. So even just against Baltimore, you think, it was one, whatever it was, 45-yard catch where Travis Kelsey catches a nothing pass and then runs through the entire Baltimore Ravens defense, breaks like four tackles, turns into a touchdown. That's the kind of uh, play that looks fantastic in Patrick Mahomes' stat sheet but wasn't anything impressive that Patrick Mahomes was doing. There was another big uh, run after the catch play in that game as well that was all running back rather than Mahomes. So I just think right now his stats are flattering him a little bit but he's not actually playing as efficiently as we normally see from him. I'm interested to see um, or hear your evaluation of, of Sam Darnold because obviously he's playing well. Obviously the Panthers are playing well. I think you see the difference in just like, you know, how much circumstances, some sort of purpose in, in which a organization is moving can, can have. But there's also the ha-ha Jets factor. So maybe, you know, the, the level he's playing at is being hyped up a little bit because it's, it's post-Jets. Um, 
where is your evaluation removing all the other factors of just Sam Darnold this season? Darnold has definitely played better. You're, you're right. You have to factor in the strength of competition. You've got the Jets and the Texans, who are supposed to be two of the worst teams in the NFL this year. You have the Saints, who, A, are kind of up in the air in terms of where they are, and B, were missing eight assistant coaches for that game, which has to have had some kind of effect on, on their day, game day performance. Um, and you've got the fact that that is a really good offensive scheme with Joe Brady at offensive coordinator. You know, last year, Teddy Bridgewater didn't play very well, but he averaged the same yards per attempt figure as Tom Brady. So that's another offensive scheme that will manufacture yardage. That being said, that's not just what's happening to Sam Darnold. He is grading better than he's ever graded before at PFF. His average career grade is about 65, and right now he's up over 80. So this is a different Sam Darnold. He has taken a significant step forward, and he is enhancing all of those advantages that he's got with this offense it's kind of a little bit like playing the game on easy mode for a quarterback you know they give him more wide open targets they give him favorable uh, looks when it comes to diagnosing coverage and because of that he's being more accurate and he's being more efficient Robin Lundberg talking to Sam Monson a lead NFL analyst at Pro Football Focus here on CBS Sports Radio uh, what do you make of the the Patriots and Saints game this weekend sort of interesting both teams you know new quarterbacks obviously um Jameis Winston had that five touchdown performance in week one but then showed the flashes of of why he he was where he was in his career prior to New Orleans obviously Mac Jones taking over for New England that they haven't asked him to do too much where do you evaluate those two teams heading into that matchup it's, I think the Belichick-Jameis matchup is a fun one to watch. They've only met uh, once before, I think 2017. There was a game uh, where Jameis faced a Bill Belichick defense, and he played okay. He had a decent PFF grade, 300 yards, but it was classic Jameis. There was uh, you know, three big-time throws in there, a couple of turnover-worthy plays. It was the roller coaster all within one game. Um, I'm just sort of fascinated to see what Belichick does to try and create the bad Jameis, try and get the guy from last week to come rushing to the surface rather than the player who can make big plays and, and do a lot of good for your offense. So I think that's going to be fun to watch. I think the Patriots are a decent side. They, they haven't asked Mac Jones to do an awful lot yet, um, and consequently he's looked the best of any of these rookie quarterbacks so far. So it'll be interesting to see later in the year you know, if they do – open it up a little bit more if they do put more on Mac Jones plate and expect more of him as the season progresses or if this is the offense they want to be running as long as he's the quarterback then you got a a nice showdown game in LA the Buccaneers at the Rams you know it's interesting because Tampa is uh, minus one and a half in this game not that I disagree with that but that basically tells me the Brady Buccaneers will be favored in every game they play Yeah, and this started off with the Rams as favorites, and then all the money came in and bet it in the other direction. I think ultimately it ended up in the right spot. Um, Tampa Bay just has so much more depth than the Rams do, and we've seen that this week, that they're potentially missing a couple of important starters. Um, You know, Antonio Brown uh, gets on the COVID list and probably won't play, and it it doesn't matter. You've got Scotty Miller, you've got Tyler Johnson, you've got Jalen Darden, who they drafted this year and was a really impressive player. Uh, in college so they've got depth and uh, same with the defensive line they haven't been able to get the first round pick Joe Tryon Shayunka onto the field because of the the JPP and and Shaquille Barrett those guys play almost every single snap Uh, whereas the Rams like the entire thing is built around Aaron Donald Jalen Ramsey 
and Matthew Stafford. And if anything happens to any of those three guys, it's a problem. And even if it doesn't, the depth lower down on the roster is just more questionable. So if you're able to figure out a way of going after the linebackers or going after you know, the number three corner or whatever, it becomes an awful lot easier to beat this team. So I think we're finally going to get to see what this Rams offense looks like when they're facing a real defense, you know, a, a team that is actually going to cause them some problems because they haven't really shown that yet. They've beaten up uh, against some not great sides, uh, but now we get to see if, it's, if it looks the same against one of the real contenders. Sunday night game, very interesting. Packers at 49ers. Uh, obviously, Green Bay, pathetic in week one, looked more like themselves in week two. San Francisco is one of the more unique situations in the league because they've got a ready-made team. But, you know, we don't know when they'll be switching uh, QBs. I, I, I hear a lot of talk about maybe Trey Lance being used more this week, whether he's playing at quarterback or not. Uh, who, who do you like in that one between the Packers and the 49ers? I think you have to like the 49ers, and it'll be interesting to see with the Trey Lance stuff because the, the Packers got exposed by a Jared Goff keeper on a read option against the Lions last week. Um, if that was you know, a, a signal to the 49ers and to Kyle Shanahan that this team just doesn't have their assignments in place yet on defense to deal with anybody running any kind of read option look at quarterback, then Trey Lance could actually have a significant part in this game. If that was just a a signal to Green Bay that, hey, look, we, we need to make sure we've got this down over the next week because we're facing the 49ers, then maybe it won't be as big a deal. But I suspect if you're Kyle Shanahan, you have to at least try that. and You have to at least see if the, if the Packers are capable of that. And even if they are, you know, that defense has struggled for years now to deal with the 49ers on the ground. And I don't really see a reason it'll be different this time around. I know the 49ers are running low on healthy running backs, but that's, one of the most plug-and-play systems in the NFL in terms of just being able to put in any running back and, and expect them to have success. So Green Bay, I think, are going to have their work cut out for them to hang in this game because it's tough to see how they're going to stop that 49ers ground game. Last one, uh, Monday night game, Eagles-Cowboys. Uh, if someone were to say the winner of this game wins the NFC East, what would you say? Um, I certainly could see why they would say that. I think there's a good reason to, to think that's true. Certainly if the Cowboys win this game um, and prove that they're just a better team than the Eagles and, and they are the class of the NFC East, I think they become the, the clear favorites. You know, Washington, I still think, has something to say. The Giants, you would expect to be the fourth team in that division. But this is a game where, where Dallas needs to show that they are the better side than Philadelphia who have been stronger than people thought they would be so far this season. You know, Jalen Hurts brings a really high floor to this offense. Um, we saw it kind of last week that he left a bunch of throws on the table against the 49ers and some big throws deep down the field, um, and they still were in that game, and they still had an explosive 90-plus yard play, and you know they were able to get things done. So that's like the floor of this offense. But the ceiling is he starts hitting on a couple of those 50-yard bombs like he did in Week 1 against Atlanta, um, and now you, you're dealing with an incredibly explosive offense where the quarterback can extend the play at any time, um, and they're they're strong on both lines, of, uh, both sides of the line of scrimmage, offensive line and defensive line. So, yeah, I think definitely whoever wins this game becomes the favorite in the NFC East. Sam, appreciate your time and, and insight uh, as always. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Anytime, guys. Take it easy. You're listening to the Robin Lundberg Show. It is the Robin Lundberg Show. Here on CBS Sports Radio, and like I mentioned, 
before the break, and like he just mentioned, you know, we've covered plenty of things on this here program, and anything you missed, you can check out. But this is generally the portion of the show where I get to everything I haven't covered as of yet. So let's do that now in another one. All right, Anthony, what's up first, man? All right, so J.J. Redick, he announced his retirement this week after 15 NBA seasons. Redick averaged 13 points per game in 940 regular season games and his 1950 career makes from three-point range rank him 15th in NBA history in that category. How will J.J. Redick be remembered? Hmm. That's, I mean, as an all-time great shooter, that's one thing. I think when you play for Duke and have the impact he did at Duke, that will always be a part uh, of your career and the way you're remembered. But here's how I'll remember J.J. Redick. I was in college when J.J. Redick was in college. I was at University of Maryland um, when he was at Duke. And... Obviously, you know, Maryland, we were supposed to hate Duke at that time. And, and J.J. Redick was kind of persona non grata um, with Terps fans. And I remember being in the um, the uh, lunchroom at one of these games because I would call the, the games for, for Maryland at the student radio station. And I remember talking to Jay Billis and Dick Vitale about J.J. Redick. And when I was um, watching at that time in college, obviously I knew J.J. Redick was a great shooter, and we all talked about that. Um, we all talked about that. But he didn't do much off the dribble. He wasn't very good off the dribble or creating his own shot. And, and I did wonder how that would impact him at the NBA level. Right, like I didn't know if if necessarily um, he was going to be as good at the NBA level because of that. But he got much better. He worked on his game, and that never became obviously a standout part of his game. You don't think of JJ Redick as a dribble drive guy or or someone you know who's who's taking people off the bounce. But he refined his game enough where that didn't become a liability at the NBA level. So I think anytime somebody can do that. You have to give them credit for their work ethic because he turned himself into a very solid NBA player, and he had that one elite skill uh, of shooting, which led to a very, very long career. So uh, that's my long-winded way of saying how I will remember J.J. Redick. What's next? So NBA legend Isaiah Thomas says, Your team, Rob, and the Brooklyn Nets will not win it all without Kyrie Irving. He said the 2016 Cleveland Cavs do not win the championship without Kyrie Irving on that team. Put me down on record. The Brooklyn Nets, with the team constructed the way it currently is, cannot and will not win the NBA championship if he is not there. Period. So can the Nets win a championship without Kyrie? If it's only KD and Harden, is that not enough? I think, look, I, I've said before, I think any two of those three, they, ha- they, could, they have a shot to win. Um, and that, that's Durant and, and Harden, Durant and Irving. Harden and Irving would be tough, but they've played great 
with those two guys. But I think the point Isaiah Thomas is trying to make is maybe sometimes Kyrie gets a little uh, undersold. You know, but Kyrie, mercurial is the word I would use maybe to describe Kyrie Irving. Mercurial, I think, fits. But he's special when it comes to creating his own shot. Like I said before, I think he's the most skilled player who's perhaps ever lived. And at the end of games, as great as Harden is, as great as Durant is, I'm not so sure Kyrie isn't the guy um, who, who is the best at getting his own shot. And that's not to say, like, Durant might be the best player in the world, but Kyrie Irving can operate in such small spaces. Uh, he, can, he can score at any level. He just puts such a strain on the on the defense so he has flaws you know he's not always the best defender though when he decides he wants to lock in physical limitations aside he can be a good defender he's not a natural distributor of the basketball that's why James Harden is the point guard there he could take some ill-advised shots uh obviously the the other stuff you know whether he's going to be there all that can come into question at times and there are are plenty of reasonable critiques of Kyrie but let's not act like the dude isn't a special player who didn't hit one of the biggest shots in NBA history in a game seven and is as creative as anyone's ever been with the basketball. So I think that's kind of the point Isaiah Thomas was trying to make. And, and he does give the, the Nets another element, like where when those three guys are out there, once they, they learn to function, you can't double team any one of them. And if you're single covering Kyrie Irving, he's going he's gonna to kill you. And Kyrie went for 40-90 last year. I wouldn't be shocked if he's the Nets' leading scorer this season. What's next? Monty McCutcheon, NBA Senior Vice President, Head of Referee Development and Training, said during a Thursday Zoom call that the association will make officiating changes meant to punish shooters who unnaturally engage with defenders in attempts to draw fouls. We want basketball to be played, not manipulated, McCutcheon explained. McCutcheon continued that NBA referees are no longer in the business of what would have happened regarding such in-game moments. So notably, the NBA will allow referees to call offensive fouls on shooters who abnormally launch themselves directly into defenders or who awkwardly initiate contact using a leg and or an arm. McCutcheon did, however, say shooters who pump fake defenders into leaping still can earn fouls as long as their shooting motions are considered normal. So what do you make of this modification? I love it. I I was saying earlier my uh, biggest issue was the fact that the you know shooters jump shooting when we were talking about the NFL being soft off Brady comments. My biggest issue with the the way that the NBA is played at all together right now is the way that that jump shooters are officiated, and it, it's crazy. Like you can't even close out and defend anymore. So I think it's it's a fantastic move by the NBA to try and get some of that garbage out of the game. I I think you know it leaves a bad taste. Some of the flopping leaves a bad taste in people's mouth, and I think some of those soft calls on the perimeter leave a bad taste in people's mouth because you can get away with a lot of contact inside, but you can't do anything on the perimeter. So I think this is smart. It will hopefully take, you know, away from some of the manipulating of the officials that you see in in the NBA today. And and I I just think it's a wise move overall. And if they can fix that, I I think they go a long way to to improving the product. So I'm all for it. What's next? 
The Toronto Blue Jays, they were upset earlier this week after Rays outfielder Kevin Kiermaier picked up a card containing their scouting reports for Tampa Bay hitters during the series opening game. So cameras caught Kiermaier taking the card out of the dirt after being tagged out at home plate by the Blue Jays catcher Alejandro Kirk in the sixth inning. And the card fell out of Kirk's wristband while he tagged Kiermaier. Tampa Bay, they rebuffed the Blue Jays' in-game request to return the card. Did the Rays cheat by not giving back the scouting card? Cheat? No, I, I don't think that's cheating. Uh, you know, like, look, cheating would be if they went in and stole the card or whatever. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, it's it's tough. It's like a line, you know, but I, I, I don't go like, you're a cheater. They took advantage of something that sort of fell into their, their, their lap there. Um uh, yeah, I wouldn't go as far as, as cheating, but I, I would say, you know, you could argue it's unethical, I guess, but it's not the same as like when, you know, you're you're uh, using technology to steal signs or you're using PEDs or, or again, if you were like spy gating it where you're 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 getting in and, and having someone, uh, you know, didn't Peyton Manning just say on the telecast he thought that the locker room was bugged whenever they were playing the Patriots. I, I, I think that is is. On the, the borderline, but I wouldn't call that cheating or wrong necessarily. They didn't go out of their way to, to, to find it. They, uh, it sort of found them. What's next? Cowboys Vice President Stephen Jones said the following about Tony Pollard this week. We did say it last week. We do have to get him more touches, Jones said on 105.3 The Fan. He's a dynamic player. I think he's a great compliment to Zeke. He's got the skill set that he can actually be a wide receiver if that's what's needed from him. The common theme is he certainly deserves to get his touches. Is Pollard going to overtake Zeke as RB1? Well, he already is better, so I don't know how you want to put it. I think Tony Pollard is a better player than Zeke Does he – uh. He might not be the between-the-tackles kind of runner that Zeke can be, but Zeke just doesn't have that burst to me anymore, and I'm not faulting him for getting paid. I think everybody should get paid if, if they can. But that's one of the reasons that you know people are hesitant about giving big money to a running back just in general because the, the tread on those tires doesn't last so long. And to me, Pollard just looks like the most explosive player, more explosive player. If I was the defense, I'd be more worried about Pollard than I am uh, about Zeke and and I just don't think um you know Zeke is is, is a great back or, or player anymore and, and so whether or not you know it's a platoon or Pollard is considered RB1 I believe that Tony Pollard is the best running back on the Dallas Cowboys let's put it that way what's next all right, finally, we're less than a week away from the month of October, and this is going to be like an insane movie month. We're talking about No Time to Die, the James Bond film, Daniel Craig's last Bond film, Red Notice, The French Dispatch, uh, Last Night in Soho, Halloween Kills, The Last Duel, The Many Saints of Newark, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. What's the one movie you're most anticipating in the month of October? Wait, wait. Can you give me that rundown again real quick? We got No Time to Die. We got Red Notice. We got The French Dispatch. We got Last Night in Soho. We got Halloween Kills. We got The Last Duel. We got, uh, did I say Dune? No, I didn't say Dune. We got The Many Saints of Newark. And we got Let There Be Carnage, Venom. And I think there's some others as well that I'm definitely forgetting. It's like insane the month of October with movies. I'm going to go with the Halloween movie. I you know I I don't the usually I'd be Marvel but it's not really Marvel proper right it's not MCU 
Uh, it feels it fits the theme of the the time. I like the last one. Yeah, it was good. That that came out. So I'm gonna go with with Halloween Kills. I'll go with the the Halloween movie and a little Michael Myers action, because um, Michael Myers is terrifying. <laughs> Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, they're the same thing, aren't they? It's kind of funny. I think the same exact thing. Just, you know, one is on a Friday and one's on Halloween. <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, this has been the Robin Ludberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 